This is The Art Life. Hello, I'm Zandra Robinson-Burns, writer and founder of Heroin Training, and we're back. Today's episode exclaims, let's go to the movies. So we're going to get into that in just a moment. And before, I am pleased to welcome back my co-host, actress and activist, Grace Gordon. Grace, how is your art life? My art life is very exciting right now, Zandra. It's very exciting. It's been two weeks since we recorded an episode, and a lot has happened in that time, my dear. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to updating you. Um, so at the at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, and just in general with my with my art life career goals, I've come to the conclusion that my focus and my efforts need to be towards finding my people rather than sort of um, blind submissions or vague networking events or even like I'm looking for an agent right now and it's like instead of just submitting at random, I'm realizing that I really want to find my people. I'm not motivated by just being cast in anything. I want to work with the artists that interest me. And this has been a huge theme of my life in the past year in general, that that is where my energy is shifting. And it feels like a, a growth thing for me. So at the end of the year, I told myself that as I launched my agent search, I was going to focus on on referrals from friends and focus on relationships I already had, focus on on meeting people in person rather than just doing like paper mailings. And that's, you know, in some ways that's the right way to do it no matter what. But for me, that's just like what I really felt to be uh, the right path. And in the past two weeks, the strangest set of circumstances has happened. And um, I went to a photo shoot about a week ago, and I immediately hit it off with a photographer. He was very literary, and we were talking a ton about books. And he was photographing me for an art book that he's compiling. And, um, And he said to me at one point, he's like, oh, wow, you're really smart. And... And, and he's like, huh, you know, oh, and you got here early. He's like, that never happens. And, you know, I laugh and, and, and he says that he, so it turns out this guy owns, um, he owns an agency. He owns like a digital marketing agency for models and influencers who very much do my kind of modeling. He says to me, he says, I don't normally rep Americans because they tend to be unreliable. But he said, you really seem to have it together. And we, we shoot and we take a couple hours and we're like getting to know each other throughout this process. And, and by the end of the shoot, he ends up signing me to his, to his modeling agency. And he, and I mentioned that I'm, I'm looking for a theatrical agent for acting, which is sort of this whole endeavor. And it can take many months to find the right person. Um, it's, you know, in some ways the most difficult part of being an actor, especially in the earlier years. And he said, oh, well, one of my best friends is an agent. 
you know, maybe he'll be interested. And I'm like, well, well, that would be cool. So I checked in with him over the weekend. I just said, hey, like, if you're interested, you know, if your friend's interested, I'd love to send you my acting materials to forward to him. He said, yeah, yeah, send them my way. And I send them his way. And then I get today, this, this morning, I'm like going to go meet a friend of mine for a cup of coffee. And I get a text just saying, hey, you have theatrical representation now. And I like oh. in my inbox have all of this like new client info and all of the paperwork I need to fill out. And all of this has happened in the past week. And it's been amazing. And it's also like it's exactly what I wanted. And it feels very much like this is the way things are done. Like the blind submissions and doing things by mail and trying to just get noticed by anyone isn't the right way to do it for maybe anyone, but certainly not for me. And I'm just so amazed that I like set this goal and then I immediately met someone who I was in perfect alignment with, got along great, signed me for modeling and then immediately finds me a theatrical agent. And it's anyway, I, my, my art life is very exciting right now. Um, things are happening in the way that I want them. Like the the what is happening, but also the how is happening in the way that I imagined it. What a way to start the new year. Yeah, what a way to start the new year. And if I may add something funny, it it's not meant to sound braggy at all. It's actually a little annoying. Um, at the beginning of last <laughs> year, on the subject of like resolutions... Uh, at the beginning of last year, my big acting career goal was like join the Screen Actors Guild. Um, that was like my 2019 measurable goal that I wanted to achieve. And I got that done in January. And then I kind of like didn't really know what to do with the rest of the year. And so once again, I'm on my trend of like meeting my year goal in January. And so I guess, Zandra, I, I need more tasks, please. <laughs> That's so interesting. Because I find that actually what happens for me is the opposite, where if I set a year goal, it won't kick in until December. But if I set the same goal and I gave it a January deadline, it would work its way out in January. And so I find that these things are 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 what you what you make of them and in knowing yourself and how you respond to these kinds of goals. I wonder what does that what does that leave room for because you're good at the tangible tasks it seems. Right, and I guess with both of these examples that I've given, it's like, okay, I knew this was my goal for the year, so then I get the work started. And then it's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, I just had to get the work started, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's great. It's very satisfying. But but I, I do feel the same way where it's like, well, okay, this happened now, so I need to come up with something else for the rest of the year. And because this show is about you know process over product like perhaps I need to come up with some more process oriented goals some more things that are focused on daily life and pleasure and um you know uh community rather than just like the the measurable business goals since okay good job you did those 
Well, I know that you also have a different kind of measurable goal that you shared with me, and I'm not sure if you wanted to share it on the show or not. Is this my fashion goal? It is your fashion goal. I would love to tell our listeners about my fashion goal. So having just read the book Pleasure Activism and being really obsessed with this concept of like making making my everyday life more pleasurable and that being an act of resistance um, and making the you know the lives of my friends and my community more pleasurable and that being an act of resistance um, I was trying to trying to think of many ways that I can just make my day-to-day more magical and comforting and 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 sensual and cozy and uh, the first thing that came to mind, as you know, Sandra, is that my one of my New Year's resolutions, if not the main New Year's resolution, is to wear velvet or like fake fur or um, soft leather every single day this year because that'll keep you going. I want to be as cozy and to feel as luxurious as possible this year amazing and so far that that uh that goal is going well i'm i just bought velvet sneakers um from depop found a used pair of beautiful velvet sneakers and uh got them in the mail been wearing them ever since amazing my perhaps my favorite new year's resolution that i've heard i just love telling people about it because it's a very exciting goal and or it's a very you know exciting challenge to give yourself and it just reminds me and it reminds other people when i when i share it that like we should be creating the best possible experiences for ourselves in these tiny actions why wouldn't i wear the clothes that make me feel best of course i should do that Zandra, how is your art life? My art life is in go mode. I am getting ready for a trip. I'm going to Walt Disney World with my family. And that's at the end of this week. So I am getting everything wrapped up here at Heroin Training HQ so that I don't have to worry about doing any extra work while I'm at Disney World. And it's a it's kind of frenetic because I'm not used to working at this pace, but I also enjoy it. I enjoy this Capricorn season of going through the list and getting things done. And it feels really good for a moment to be so ahead of my schedule. And then when I come back from my vacation, I will be right on track. But there's something about working ahead that is thrilling for me. So it's my understanding that Disney itself is like a really important tradition and experience for you and your family. Is that true? Going to Disney World is a constant in my childhood amidst a lot of moves. So no matter where my family was based, we would regularly go on family trips to Walt Disney World. And as an adult, I we've 
rekindled this tradition by last January, we all met at Disney World when my dad and my sister were running the half marathon for Run Disney. And it was such a great time. It was such a great way to meet in the middle and share something that we were all so passionate about that we decided to keep it up on a somewhat regular basis. So we're going back. And something that I love personally about Disney is that I treat it as a research trip where I am so fascinated by Walt as an artist, how he was such an innovator in so many different media, media where he, he wanted to expand what animation could do, what kinds of stories animation could tell. And then that evolved into inviting people to experience the feeling of going to the movies more tangibly, which is relevant to this episode, by creating these theme parks where people could step into the world of Snow White, for instance. And so he was passionate about continuing to move forward with what what entertainment and storytelling could do to to connect with people, to connect with families. And that mission has been taken up by the Imagineers and the artists who run the park today. And so they're really at the forefront of innovation in that way. And I am always excited to see what they're doing. It's another example of how my work has been shaped today, where I talk about Harry Potter a lot and growing up with that imaginary world as a constant for me. And Disney World is a physical place that represents that too. And it's something that I am thinking about in my own art life as I develop my work because I want to, I've built the structure of the magic kingdom, so to speak, that is heroin training. And what I want to keep doing with it is to keep imagining further, just like they do in the Disney parks. So today's episode is called Let's Go to the Movies. This was inspired by another family tradition of mine where every Christmas when we're all at home in the same place, our family tradition is to pick a movie together and go out to the cinema. So since I didn't get to participate in that this year, we are having an art life discussion instead. And Grace, I... I'm so excited to hear about your perspective as somebody who is on both sides of the screen as an actor. And I'm curious about how working in film, being in films, how that influences your movie-going experience. I'm so glad you asked that, and I feel woefully unprepared to answer it because... 
all of my thoughts and prep for this episode beforehand were from the audience side. The only thing that occurred to me before you asked that, that changed this year, was that this year, for the first time, I'm in the Screen Actors Guild, and I am receiving, like, DVD screeners, they're called, like, for award season. The union and, like, different production companies, they basically send you DVDs of all of the big award season movies and, and shows as well. So I have all of the all of the big movies from this year like sent to me so I have a stack of all the major releases including many that are currently in theaters and I noticed that I was still going to see most things in theaters anyway and I thought that was kind of interesting um like oh I can just watch this at home why am I going to the theater but it's like Going to the cinema is such a sacred experience for me. It's an opportunity for me to not be distracted and not be on my phone and not be on the stationary bike while I watch TV. Like, it's it's one of the only times in my week, if not the only, where I'm totally focused on what I'm doing with zero distractions. So, somehow being an actor and being in the film industry has only made me cherish my time in the cinema more. That's wonderful. That I am seeing a connection here between our movement episode of like the places that we go for sacred focus are yoga class and going to the movies. I think like the family tradition of going to the movies is so special too because you all pile into the car and you get excited about seeing something and maybe you get popcorn or maybe you don't but like it is a really lovely family tradition and it's not the same thing as like just vegging out and watching tv and not talking to each other i think it's an entirely different experience so i loved learning that that was a tradition in your family because i think it's a really special one thank you it's a tradition that has certainly been influential in my sister and my lives as well where she was working in film for a little bit and it also inspired the podcast that Junie and I run together because after every movie that my family sees together from a young age she would ask us what's your favorite part and she has very strict rules about this question you can't just say a certain character or even a certain scene it has to be a specific moment and you have to be prepared to defend it she is so funny with her traditions like in a yeah. previous episode of this show you even talked about her her card making tradition yeah <laughs> i love that she has these things that she you know you have to follow the rules of junie's traditions it's so particular, and I never really thought about it as a recurring thing because I'm the rigid one, but <laughs> you're pointing out that we have more in common than than may appear at first glance. <laughs> That's so funny that you pointed that out. Well, speaking of having more in common with 
people than you may assume you do or more than you knew at first glance. I recently had the experience of seeing It's a Wonderful Life for the first time, by the way, in the cinema. Like, I had never seen the film before at all, and I saw that it was screening at one of the big movie theaters here right before Christmas, and I said, hey, I actually really want to experience this for the first time in a theater. How cool would that be? And it was so special, and I'm so glad I saw it that way, because I got to experience this very emotional, sentimental, heartwarming movie with a crowd of strangers who were all also crying and holding each other and feeling everything. And it reminded me like how special it is to go through an emotionally cathartic experience in the theater with a bunch of strangers. Oh my gosh. I I might even like seeing old movies in cinemas more than new ones. Do you have a list of things that like you wish you had seen or that you want to see um, re-screened in the theater? Steve and I love going to see Studio Ghibli anytime that yes. it's being screened. That just works so well um, on a big screen in that focused meditative environment because those films also evoke that quieter quality where you really need to be still and paying attention. An experience that came to mind that I had forgotten about until you just shared your It's a Wonderful Life story was how I did the same thing for Ghostbusters when I was a student at Oxford. There was an old cinema called the Ultimate Picture Palace that I love, and they just have one screen and they were doing a Halloween screening of Ghostbusters. I'd never seen it before. I got a lot of flack for it as a teenager. Of like, You've never seen Ghostbusters? And this was a packed house, including a row of American study abroad students in England who were dressed like, each of them was dressed like a different character from the film. They knew the entire thing by heart and were were cheering preemptively, were speaking along to the film, and it was the best way to experience it for the first time. So this has reminded me, both your story of family traditions and also this, you know, crowd going going through the motions together, this has reminded me that I have inherited the family legacy of attending Rocky Horror Picture Show and participating in midnight screenings of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, I saw Rocky Horror when I was so young uh, for the first time when I was like 10 and immediately fell in love with it because um, I've always been a freak. And <laughs> and um, it, it was something that my sister and I loved together and sang all the songs from. And we found out later in life that when it first came out, my dad was obsessed with it. And my dad would go to the midnight screenings and he would dress up as Dr. Frankenfurter, which I need a picture of, but there is no record of this. <laughs> um, and he was like a very active participant in Rocky Horror screenings. And now as an adult, like I'll go in, in LA whenever I can and I'll bring friends with me. And it's like this, you know, long long living family tradition of, of Rocky Horror and I love I personally love 
rowdy movie theaters, I have great love. So the Rocky Horror experience is like my ideal experience because everyone's shouting at the screen and throwing stuff and getting super involved. And that kind of feeling really enlivens me. I love going to late night horror movies where people are screaming. I love the opening night of a big franchise movie where the theater is packed and the parking lot's full and like you just feel the excitement in the air. That is my one of my favorite feelings in the world. And I'm I'm curious how you feel about like the rowdy loud movie theater experience because I know for some people that is like a total nightmare. Well, first of all, Rocky Horror is has answered that question that you asked me earlier of what's my list. So I am putting that on my list. If you weren't an early bird, I would take you to a midnight screening. Oh, I would stay up for the special occasion. Wow. Something to look forward to. <laughs> Indeed. Um, rowdy movies is something that I think is one of those things that annoyed me when I was living in the U.S. and now that I live over here in the U.K. and it's so different, I kind of miss it. So I remember going to opening day of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix when I was a teenager doing a visiting here. And my friends and I were cheering just like we would at home. And there was, there were the, the like, the British people were glaring at us and like, we're trying to watch the movie. Like you're you're missing the point of this is opening day. This is what you've signed up for. But my favorite experience was when I was at a uh, an outdoor film festival in London in the summer, which even in the summer in London is a bit ambitious. And my friend Dave and I were were watching Back to the Future, and. Um, First of all, we were very pleased with ourselves because we were prepared and we're both um, rock climbers. So we brought our down sleeping bags to this thing because we knew it's going to get cold. And I've done I've done a lot enough. Um, oh, like outdoor uh, outdoor theater, garden theater productions um, in the summer in the summertime in Britain to know like it's it starts out really lovely. But it gets so cold by the end that you're miserable and possibly wet. So I was like, we're going to be overprepared. We're bringing our down sleeping bags. So that was uh, that started out great. And then everyone was drinking and laughing and enjoying themselves. And as soon as the lights dimmed for that opening title, there was absolute silence. The, the title Back to the Future comes on the screen and there's polite applause. I've been so curious because when we first came up with this episode concept, you brought up to me how different the theater going experience is living in the UK. And I assumed it was something along these lines. But can you tell me more about what you've noticed, like US versus UK theater experience? It's just a, it's just a lot quieter over here. It's a lot more... Um, there's there's less of the participation. Um, what was so great about that Back to the Future screening was that there's this one moment in Back to the Future where the nerd stands up to the bully. And after an entire film of silence, 
that moment earned another smattering of polite applause. <laughs> it was it was so sweet and so English a reaction because because there hadn't really been any vocalization throughout the entire movie, that one chiming in of the audience of like, this is our collective response to this was was just, it was so cute and so meaningful. But I have also lost sight of what it, what it feels like to be in an American audience. So do you have any stories? Well, I've noticed like in myself that although... I love rowdy screenings of things or like that opening night exultation that I still have like really strict rules about what is and isn't appropriate in the movie theater. So, you know, I love popcorn everywhere and I love people yelling at the screen, yelling things, you know, yes, or like you suck or whatever. Um, (laughs) I love that feeling. But, oh my god, you know, if someone touches their phone, I am, that is the most evil I have, you know, I am capable (laughs) of becoming is as a person in a movie theater with someone in my close vicinity being on their phone. Like, you will not ever see me angry until that happens. (laughs) Do you um, confront them? I do. I'm a yeah. I'm I, I am a person who will confront someone, and I. The thing is, like, there's never a way for me to say it nicely. <laughs> I'm still. I, I I'm open to suggestions from listeners <laughs> because I'm still working out. Like, I don't know how to ever confront someone in a way that comes across as like polite but firm, because any you know every time I can think think to say anything it's like can you please get off your phone can you please take your call outside because it's just so obviously rude Mm. that like there's no way for me to say it without the word obviously being the subtext i mean maybe that's enough i know that i appreciate when somebody else will say it yeah that's like that's something i'm good at and it's it's so instinctual for me, I mean, I just can't stand when someone's phone goes off in the in the theater or, in, you know, at the cinema. Um, and I will say something. You'll see my body language, like, change immediately. Mm. Like, friends of mine will, will be like, yeah, I immediately saw your, like, predator come out. <laughs> <laughs> but I really can't stand it. But it is funny because it's like I have no problem with people being engaged with the work in a really loud way. I love that. It's people disconnecting, being distracted, being on their phones, crinkling loud things. That That is where I draw the line. And especially living in LA in a city full of cinephiles, there are certain movie theaters where you will literally get thrown out of the theater if your phone goes off or if you're on your phone. Like you will you will be asked to leave. And and there are there are you know, very stuffy film bro people who don't like an audience being engaged, who will be mad if that happens, who will be mad at someone laughing really loudly. And that kind of attitude is so far from what I feel. Um, I'm really uncomfortable with 
with people who want a completely silent environment and a, a completely singular experience because part of the joy for me of the cinema is sharing an experience with an audience of strangers. So I think any any moment where someone's disconnecting instead of connecting with the work and their fellow audience members, that's where I get really angry. So whether that's taking a phone call or like shushing someone who's enjoying the film, those are my boundaries. Mm. Or those are where the examples of where my line gets crossed. I think that's totally fair. And I will often take into consideration, I love to pair what movie I'm going to see with which local cinema I go to. If I want to go to a an enormous mainstream cinema or a tiny art house, that those kinds of decisions will often impact what kind of audiences um, I'm surrounded by as well. And my my personal thing that I get anxious about at the cinema is that I love to watch the credits. And it's sometimes just to, to see if there's a post-credit scene, but more than that, I love to stay seated. It's like the Shavasana, if this is still yoga class, and just like listen to the music over the credits, watch all of the different departments scroll by, and not jump into talking about the movie as soon as it's over. Like, let it sink in. So I have to confront people when they talk to me too early. Yes, you've told me about this. Like, you need to give yourself time to process. And that's a feeling that I totally relate to because I have a circle of friends out here who, like, as soon as a movie ends, um, even after the credits have rolled, people like to, like, stand in a... This group of friends likes to stand in a circle and, like, immediately talk about the movie and, like, unpack the movie. And this, these conversations... Oh, I love my friends. I hope they don't think I'm insulting them. These conversations can last an hour. And I, I get very uncomfortable. So I've started just, like, leaving as soon as the movie ends. But I realize it's, like, I need time to let it sink in. And I feel sort of like violated <laughs> when I have to unpack everything having just seen it. I love having an after movie venue for that kind of discussion. And there's, I totally forgot that I, I mentioned this anecdote in my, my ebook that I published a few years ago that's since been retired. But I tell the story of how the first time Steve met my parents and my sister, we were in London and we went to see the the final film in the Dark Knight trilogy. And then we went out for lunch afterwards and he was just like, you talked about the movie for the entire afternoon. And we were like, yeah, it's the it's the final movie in, in such an important 
trilogy. Like, you're, you don't do this too? <laughs> but it, he just pointed out that, like, that is something that we do that I just sort of assumed everyone does. But it is a, it is a, a personality thing. Yeah, and for some reason, I feel like I need to process it internally first. And, you know, maybe that's figuring out that I need to go take myself out for a cup of coffee and then rejoin the group. They'll still be there. They'll still be there. Yeah, we're going (laughs) to keep talking for an hour. Um, (laughs) But but I always, I like feel guilty because I just have no desire to immediately get into it. I'm the, yeah, I'm somewhere in, in that zone as well, but I also can't get out of it right away where like I went to go see Endgame And then afterwards was meeting up with some friends that I didn't get to talk to before the movie who were sitting in the audience with us. And they're like, so how are you doing? I'm like, I can't talk about me right now. Look what these characters just went through. That's very lovely of you. That's very, it's very Hufflepuff of you. (laughs) I'm such a Hufflepuff cinema goer. Well, Zandra, I love that I've learned a little bit about future cinema etiquette or technique that I could have from this conversation. I love to break it down and to discover I need a quiz now or maybe we should make one of what is your cinema going personality. And then find a theater that suits you. Yeah, that'll be in the picture that is with your result. There's a cinema here in LA and there's actually there there it's a chain. There are definitely locations around the US called Alamo Draft House that have like really specific screenings. Like they'll do like a rowdy screening of cats. So like you know when you're going into it that you can be as obnoxious as you want. Or they'll do like um they're doing a screening of little women that's like a fancy afternoon tea screening. Where they'll be providing like, yeah, I thought of you when I saw that. (laughs) Like they'll be providing like an afternoon tea service and you have to dress up. And I love that concept. I love that people know exactly what they're signing up for when they go to that special screening. And then you're sort of among your people and your cinema viewing type. That's perfect. And I, I love getting dressed up for the cinema too, even though... I am a minimalist and I do this subtly. I have this little tradition of crafting little accessories that um, that help me dress up like a certain character. Like I made an R2-D2 fascinator when uh, the new Star Wars trilogy was coming out. And I have a tradition of going to Glasgow to visit my friend Lindsay whenever a new Disney animated or Pixar film is coming out because, to my knowledge, we're the two people in Scotland who are the most excited about these things. And she loves dressing up too, so we'll often confer and say, like, should I wear woody colors or buzz colors? And (laughs) it's just for us, but I love making an occasion out of these anticipated launches. So what is the art life? The art life is rowdy. (laughs) What is the art life? The art life is connecting with the audience and the world 
of the movie that you're sharing together off your phones. <laughs> the art life is getting off your damn phone. That's actually true. I mean, the whole show is really about how the art life is about getting off your damn show phone. <laughs> yeah, each episode is really just an iteration of that. Ways to be off your phone. And speaking of episodes, I want to extend a special thank you to everyone who has sent us their best gifts stories that we asked for back in December. We are preparing to do that special episode in time for Valentine's Day. So if you would like to submit your best gift that you've received, please send it to us at theartlife at heroinetraining.com by the end of January. Yeah, we had such a wonderful discussion between the two of us about gift giving and homemaking gifts, making art for gifts, best gifts for artists. And we realized that as fun as a conversation is between you and me, we know that we have listeners who have something gorgeous to share. So we want to open up the conversation to you guys and hear stories about the best gifts you've received, whether they've been a piece of art, a creative idea, um, time, whatever it is, wherever your mind goes, the answer is right. And we just want to tell the story around the campfire. We have stories coming to us to share, and you are headed off to Disney this week. In the meantime, as people track your fun adventures online, where can people find your art? My art is based at heroinetraining.com. You can also find me on Instagram at heroinetraining. I may or may not be Instagram storying from Walt Disney World. I often find that being immersed in that place, I don't really want to be on my phone. So we'll see about that. And I've also mentioned my the other heroin training podcast on this episode. It's called What's Your Favorite Part? Spelled the American way as per my sister's rigid rules (laughs) and uh so wherever you're listening to the art life you can find what's your favorite part as well right now we are covering the end of high school musical the musical the series on disney plus and if you go to our back catalog we discuss some movies that we went to the cinema to see as well i'm so glad that you're covering that show because i think it is freaking fantastic And I started watching it on a bit of a whim, and I'm totally in love with it. So I really encourage people to listen to your podcast. And if you haven't already watched High School Musical, the musical, the series, give it a try because it's phenomenal. Oh my gosh, I love it. And I am the first to admit I'm not a fan of High School Musical. Nor am I. Yeah, this it that movie feels really artificial to me and this series that's inspired by it takes that premise and injects some some reality into it. And so it has amazing characters 
And by the time this episode comes out, the entire season will be available on Disney+. And a suggested viewing experience is to watch it one episode at a time. And if you'd like to check out our podcast in between episodes, um, that'll make the experience last longer. Fabulous. Grace, where can people find your art? My art is archived, compiled, and at first view at patreon.com slash gracegordonofficial. Um, That is where I really post everything as it comes out, whether it's modeling work, podcasts, new acting work, drawing, blogs, um, weekly love letters to all my favorite art of the week. Um, Patreon is where I kind of compile everything. Um, Otherwise, I'm on social media, Grace Gordon Official on Instagram, and maybe sharing more and more and more throughout the year as I now have reps that I really like. Amazing. Well, everyone, thanks for coming to the movies with us in spirit. From my side of the world, I'll wish you a good morning. And from my side of the world, I wish you a good night. This is The Art Life, a heroin training podcast with Grace Gordon and me, Zandra Robinson-Burns. You can find us online at theartlife.show and send letters to The Art Life, care of Grace Gordon, P.O. Box number 4292, Valley Village, California, 91607, or email us, theartlife at heroinetraining.com. Our theme music is The Stream by Rory. Thank you for joining us.